Hello and welcome to episode 36 of Slaytanic Vercast. I'm Mo from France and to my west, broadcasting live from Richard Branson's secret one-man escape pod, it's Dr. Lee Quessence. How you doing, Doc? I'm all well and good, as you might expect. Mm. This is a location I, I've, I've attempted to sneak my way into mm-hmm. uh, on many, many occasions. I believe this is actually one of three escape pods that, that, that Richard Branson um, mm-hmm. possesses. Um, that there's this, this, this is the, the undersea one that I'm in at the moment. Oh, really? Uh, I, I, th- I presumed that you, when, when, when you sent me that message via um, telepathy, I assumed that you were talking about the escape pod on the craft that he took into space yesterday. Um, well, he might need that. No, that's, I, I suppose that's fair enough. That, 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 that's um, generous of your soul. And I mean, you know, you could say that if it's a one-man escape pod, then one man plus shapeless Lovecraftian entity would somehow be acceptable. But um, when I breathe, it upsets the cosmic balance of nature. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know what it would do um, to a man who's sort of just about to escape the very traumatic experience of having to bail out of the spacecraft. So... Mm. While Richard's off in space, um, I'm having a look around his his uh, his underski his 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 undersea um, escape pod. Sure. Um, what have you found? Very, it's very round and it's very nicely padded, um, and I'm I'm having fun with the the control panel at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, as you might expect that there's there's a beautifully padded seat. Um, I was going to say in one corner, but of course it's it's perfectly round, so there are no corners. But at, at one location, there's a beautifully padded seat, which I I, I assume is um, is put aside for the brown. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I call him the brown. Yeah. To his face or? I've been, I, I, I haven't nearly been given permission. I've been invited to call him the brown. Oh, that's lovely. That's lovely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, 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 the last time we were speaking, I said brown. Mm. Brown. I said. <laughs> uh, I'm so glad we're intimate enough that you no longer have to call me Dickie. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, <clears throat> I presume the brand sits in the seat, and then you, you, you lift up one or other of the, the padded armrests, um, and there's a great number of small, colourful, back-illuminated buttons inside. Mm-hmm. And each one you press, something very interesting happens. So, uh, the one I've just pressed, um, a small iris-shaped hatch opens in the ceiling, mm-hmm. um, and a mirror ball comes down. Wow! And what I'm doing at the moment is I'm tinkering with some of the other buttons that. that change the coloured lights that shine onto the mirror ball. Mm, mm. Any, um, any, any disco being played? Well, there's another whole entire control panel um, whereby you can just loop backwards and forwards through Virgin's back catalogue. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I imagine Branson is a massive fan of uh, Yes Sir, I Can Boogie by Baccarat. You would think so. Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I can, I can imagine, I can imagine Bran cutting a rope to that. Yeah, I, do, uh, I can see him getting down and schmoozing with uh, Kate Winslet on his private island. Yeah, um, and uh, so I mean, it, it also goes without saying that there's um, on the floor, just in front of the huge padded seat, um, there's a a, a plushly, a, a two small plushly padded areas. Um, I imagine where um, some obliging lovely can rest her knees. That's right. I, I, I wondered if they were knee pants. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, he- heaven, heaven, heaven knows what's been going on there, Doc. Good Lord. Listen, yeah. we've got to talk about um, we've got to talk about the Euros, haven't we, Doc? It's inevitable. What can we do? 
But for the listeners, we're recording this on uh, Monday the 12th of July, the day after the night before when England were eliminated by Italy. Well, not, not even eliminated, actually. You know, the, that's the end of the competition. Italy won. And we day. What do what'd you, what'd you, what'd you make of it, Doc? Well, as you know, I, I, I had very, very moderate expectations, as, mm. as, as, I, always, as, as I always do, of mm. England in international competitions. I mean, I, I well remember the World Cup where everyone had to pretend to be Irish for a month. Oh, yes. <laughs> um, I mean, uh, there's also the almost truistic fact that England always come to pieces in penalty matches. Mm. Mm. Um, I think penalties are a horribly cruel way to settle a football match. Um, yes. You might even know this. Why? Why was the? Um, why was sudden death abandoned? Are you talking about like the the golden goal situation? Yeah. So, um, for non-football playing listeners, mm. um, if it's a draw, you play for another thirty minutes. If it's still a draw, then nowadays this is resolved by exchanging penalties. Um, at some point in the past, and I'm going to go back to Mo because Mo can probably explain when the system was used and why it was abandoned. Mm. Um, in the past, there was occasionally a, a, a system of, of, of sudden death where the two teams would just play until one or other of them scored. Yeah. Yeah, I, do, I think that was... Um, I think, you know, I haven't checked these facts, so, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm a, a tournament out here, but I think it was introduced for France 98, the World Cup, and I think it stayed in place until maybe 2004 or 2006... And the reason it was abandoned was because it became very apparent that it, the idea of it was that, you know, the two teams would then be forced to attack each other um, until one of them scored. That is not what happened in actuality. Instead, they just became ultra defensive because they knew that any mistake, that was the end of that. That was the end of their tournament. Um, yeah. So, you know, the I think it was it was introduced with good intentions, but it was, you know, Un, it was surprisingly ineffective, unfortunately. Yeah, that was, um, that was the problem. The thought crossed my mind actually that um, if you're waiting for sudden death, well, if two teams could go 120 minutes without scoring, they could easily go another 120 without yeah. scoring. Exactly, exactly. Yes. Um, so you know, it's a, the, the end of another, the end of another tournament. Um, history really told us that, that this would be the. This would be the result. What, what about the future, though? What, what, what does the future hold for the for the England England football team? I mean, I promise, listeners, for those not interested in sport, we, we won't go on about this for too long. Um, am I right? It's World Cup next year. World Cup is in Qatar next November, I believe. Yeah. Um, so it's only a little over a year before there's another tasty international competition. That's right. Uh, and one of of, of greatly different character. Um. I mean, I don't see a good reason not to stick to the basic form of the squad. Um, I expect there'll be fickle people baying for um, the dismissal of Mr. Southgate. Yeah, I think I think that's inevitable, unfortunately. I did, and in uh, fact, it's already began. I mean, despite the fact that I think he's managed to outperform any England manager for the last forty years. Mm, mm. My answer is, um, it, 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 we've, we've, we've used this analogy before, even in nothing to do with sport, but one of the most frustrating things that ever happens in any action movie mm. is when someone comes up with a plan, and it's a really good plan, 
but because of some sort of minor mistake or a bit of bad luck, the plan doesn't come off. And then the plan is abandoned. The guy who came up with it um, gets, a new ass- get, gets a new asshole ripped for him by the action mm. hero who then decides that he's going to do it his way. Mm. <laughs> um, I would love to, just once to see an action movie where um, the clever guy comes up with a plan and they carry it out and it doesn't work and they refine the plan and fix mm. the problems with it. You yeah. try it again and it works this time. You mean like in real life, for example? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, like way when um, normal people are attempting a task um, and they fail the first time or the second time and then they fix what it was they did wrong the first two times mm. and then it works. Mm. Mm. What do you make, outside of the football, Doc, what, what do you make of the, the, you know, the appalling fan behaviour and racist abuse online of the players that missed the penalties? What do, what are we to make of this? What can be done about it? Should anything be done about it? Oh, it's so depressing to have to talk about, Doc, to be honest. Um, it's depressing to have to talk about it, and since I don't know anything about it, I'm not going to. Oh, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, you know, just deplorable scenes in, in London, um, both before and after the game. Italian restaurants being smashed, smashed up. Italian fans being beaten up. Um, and then, you know, the, 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 the inevitable barrage of horrible abuse to the, to the three black English players that missed the penalties. It's just, it, 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 it just tarnishes what, you know, should otherwise be quite a, a proud moment, even in defeat. Yeah, I mean, um, I stay away from broadcast news um, at the moment. Um, I've stayed away from broadcast news about behaviour around football matches Mm. Um, ever since, well, um, ever since it became very apparent whose side broadcast news was on Mm. um, during the pernicious misreporting of the behaviour of England fans in the late 80s. Oh, yes. Hillsborough in particular, I imagine you're referring to there. Um, I was referring to that. I was also referring to um, ITN deliberately, I won't say suppressing, but deliberately not broadcasting clips they, they've got, they, they, they had of members of Dutch extreme right-wing organisations preparing for false flag activities. They, they, oh, they, yes. Um, they had bits of film um, of them changing into England shirts before going and doing mischief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which they, did, they, they, they deliberately chose to sit on. Mm, mm. Um, and I mean, it, it's um, it's been obvious for a long time um, whose side those people are on, and I, I, I just um, I studiously avoid it. No, um, I think I, I think maybe you are wise to do so, sir. Before we press on, uh, just a quick note to the listeners, particularly the audio files out there amongst you, that there may be a little bit of background noise this evening. You shouldn't be too bad. Basically, I've got the house to myself, apart from um, the owner's son, who's about 18 years old, and he's got a few mates over for a bit of a, for a, bit of a house party. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of like being a, a character in an American team movie, you know, some kind of John Waters affair. Um, so if there's any background, it, it shouldn't be too much of a problem. Because fortunately, 
they're just, a, you know, they're, they're, they're a bunch of stoners. So as we speak, <laughs> you know, so as we speak, they're in the next room playing Call, Call of Duty, absolutely out there fucking it. So I don't think they're going to be any trouble, guys. But if there is a little bit of noise in the background, that's what's going on. Um, you ready for your topics, sir? Absolutely. Uh, pick a number, mate. One to five. Three. Number three. Oh, here we go. If you could master any instrument to a professional level, what would it be and why? Um, a conservative one and a radical one. Go on. Um, you, you, you're going to start talking about the hurdy-gurdy, aren't you, Doc? No. Um, no. The conservative one is bass because it's the only instrument that I've ever really been able to play. Mm. And... Um, at various points in my life, I've become different kinds of music I've been listening to since I pretty much stopped playing out and stopped really doing a musical project. Um, I have begun to inculcate a desire that I really wish I could play bass much, much better mm -hmm. um, than I actually have the motivation yeah. to be able to. The other one um, is, oddly, um, this, this, this might surprise you, was trumpet. Oh, here we go. Uh-huh. That does surprise me. Yeah. Um, so if I were ever to put together a, a, a band for playing out again, um, I would like to do it. I would like to put together a band um, that didn't have what one might call standard rock and roll instrumentation. Sure. Um, Guitar, bass, uh, drums. Yeah, so the uh, the lineup I had in mind um, was um, cocktail drums or mm -hmm. a, a drummer who would play a cocktail set, mm -hmm. which for those of you who don't know, um, is a very, very small drum set, um, typically that uses something like a tom-tom um, as a kick drum. And that's normally mounted vertically, but upside down um, with a customized or bent out of shape bass drum pedal, which can whack the bottom of it mm -hmm. um, and then has a, a snare drum without a snare um, so much more like a conga or a, a, a biscuit tin um, on top and some bits of random percussion um, I would also like um, not necessarily a synthesizer uh, I would also like a, an electronic keyboard instrument of some description but I'd like somebody else to play that mm -hmm. um, and I would like to play trumpet wow um, and the reason is that progressive and psychedelic jazz in the 70s did some appealing things for me by playing, attaching a microphone to a trumpet and running it through guitar effects pedals. Mm -hmm. um, and I would like to take that idea and run with it. Well, it, 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 any trumpeters of note, Doc, that uh, you know, you'd find influential, just in case anybody's curious to do a Google? Um, well, Miles Davis is your man. He, he's mm -hmm. the, the, the beginning and end of where you should go to for trumpet players. Right. Um, completely opposite end of the scale. Um, uh, Trish from Broadcast, mm -hmm. um, I found was a, a player sensitive enough to be able to do a lot with an instrument that she wasn't necessarily, she, she, she didn't necessarily have complete mastery of. Mm. Um, I admire people who can intuitively use musical instruments in interesting ways, more for pitch and timbre than necessarily for, but it's one of those instruments where there's, there's no way around being able to learning how to play the fucking thing. Mm -hmm. 
mm. um, you can you can pick up an electric guitar um, and without even tuning it, you can use feedback, you can use pick scraping, you can use all kinds of things to get interesting noises out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a couple of my, well, there's, there's many of my favorite bands and I don't think the guitar players, any of those ever quote unquote, learned to play their yes. instruments. Yes, yes, like, like, like formal tuition. Um, or even like, in some cases, I don't think they ever learned how to tune it. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the tonal qualities of trumpet. Um, and it, it's, it strikes me as a lot like a guitar in a way, and it, in as much as it's a, it's an instrument you, you make very, very personal. Um, mm. Your use of your muscles and your own technique um, makes it possible to do very personal things with it. Mm-hmm. But um, unlike an electric guitar, you've got to start from somewhere. Yeah, um, yeah. If somebody can't play the trumpet, I think this is probably true of, of, of all brass instruments. If somebody can't play them, it's, it, it just sounds ghastly, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's no, there's no kind of half-assing it really. So, you know, you either, you either play it or you can't. Apart from anything else, if, if there's an instrument that I want to be able to make cool noises with without necessarily being able to play it well, there are, there are already electric guitars in the world. Mm. Uh, I don't feel the need to play electric guitar better than I do already. Um, I have a strange relationship with brass in general, actually. I instinctively don't like it. I don't like the sound of brass very much. But then when it is incorporated into an orchestra, an orchestra then I like it a great deal. But, but just the cold sound of the brass by itself, I do find quite abrasive and unpleasant in general. I mean, um, ensemble playing is a completely different thing. Though. Mm. I mean, if you, um, if, you, if you listen to an orchestra, you're listening to the sound of the orchestra. Yes, right. Um, I mean, there's, there's, all, there's all, all of those waves kind of merging together, isn't it, to give it that kind of textured sound? Yeah. Um, the kinds of classical music I like the least mm. um, are the ones which attempt to borrow from idioms such as jazz and pop music uh-huh. um, and try to have solo parts. Oh, yes. Um, I mean, for instance, I've got, I've got no patience at all with the musical compositions that go along with musical theatre. Mm. So, I mean, give me something from the 18th century or the 19th century and I, or, or, or even earlier than that, and I'm, I'm probably very, very happy. Yes. But um, try and force me to do something from the 1940s and... Mm. I mean, my first thing is, well, um, if I want to listen to something with jazz influences, I'll listen to a fucking jazz record. I've already mm. got some of those. <laughs> yeah, so uh, the, 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 the very notion of musical theatre just makes me uh, makes me shudder, just even the thought of it. Um, absolutely ghastly. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? it? It's one of those things that, um, of all the things in the world that, people are really, really into. And I mean, so basically anything that has a fan culture. Mm. Um, I like to pride myself that I can get it. Yeah. Uh, I can get why you're a fan of that, even if I'm not. I don't get any part of musical theatre at mm. all. Mm. I, 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 cannot, I, I can't get my head around why people are into it. Mm-hmm. I, I tried to listen to the... Um... 
the Hamilton soundtrack because so many people were talking about how brilliant Hamilton was. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you know, it became such a cultural phenomenon. I thought, well, let's have a listen just so, just, just so that I know what they're talking about. Oh, Doc, honestly, it, it just genuinely, genuinely painful stuff. I, I think the whole, I think the problem for me with musical theatre is the whole thing is so damn worthy. It makes my fucking skin crawl. That's a really interesting complexion to bring on it because I have, and I'm, I'm not trying to be controversial, I promise. Mm. Um, I've always thought of musical theatre as being notionally at least, I mean, at least to a greater or lesser extent, and more often a greater extent, to be queer or transgressive. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, no doubt about that. Yes, there's, you, you certainly have, you know, the um, kind of gay subculture aspect to it. Oh, maybe worth is the, the, the wrong word, you know, just po-faced, maybe is better. Takes itself so bloody seriously. Um, I did, 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 no, I, I, I cannot tolerate it, unfortunately. I want to live in America, everything free in them. Fuck off, you know. Um, um, so you've, you've always put, you put you, you, your finger on another thing, you know, that that was already a perfectly good play. Uh, I mm. would go and watch Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> yeah, very, very, very good, yes. Uh, you know, I'll just go and do that. I suppose it's one of those genres of entertainment that consistently falls between stools. If I want to hear opera... I'll go to the opera. If I want to watch ballet, I'll go to the ballet. Mm-hmm. To it, it, it's just like a watered down, ver- a watered down version of everything, isn't it? Like yes. Jack of all trades, master of none, etc. Yeah, that, 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 that's my impression. Doc, should we? Should, who cares about musical theatre? Should we talk about Slayer? You've just disappointed me, mate. Uh, because I, I, I presume I'm now going to have to abandon trying to interest you um, in my next high concept idea of Slayer the musical. <laughs> Keep, keep keep that in the back of your mind. Um, by episode 112, when we really start to run out of things to say, you, you can drop that in. <laughs> what do you think? Keep that nugget on hold. Welcome to part two of the show. Um, I forgot to say in part one, don't forget you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast. On email at slightanitvercast at gmail.com. Now, of course, normally this is the part of the show where we would listen to the, the track of the week and, and talk about it. But, hey, we've only just gone and done it. We've got to the end of Raining Blood. Um, and so we're just going to do an album overview episode. Probably won't be as long as normal. Um, the Doctor doesn't even know the format. I've kind of pretended there's still a format. Um and the format is just, I've devised 10 questions, 10 basic questions, all re- related to Rain and Blood. I'm going to hit the dock with them one by one, and we're just going to chat about it and go from there. Sound good, Doc? What a fantastic idea. Um, some details before we start. Release date for Rain and Blood was uh, the 7th of October, 1986. At the time, the number one song in the US was Stuck With You by Huey Lewis and the News. I don't really know who they are, Doc. I know the name, but I can't really I can't think of a song by them. Were that the motherfuckers that did the um, Back to the Future soundtrack? Absolutely. That's, that's, that's what I was uh, The young lady, um, the, the model who is um, Huey's com- uh, companion in the video for Stuck With You, 
uh, made mm. a profound impression on my adolescence. Oh, okay, yes. Mm-hmm. She brought um, you. She brought you twitching to life on occasion. Yeah, um, I can't even remember what she looks like. I can just remember that she did, um, and mm. so did her screen costume. So, nothing <laughs> prompted me. Um, I might have to go and look that up. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> in the UK, the number one song was Don't Leave Me This Way by The Communards. Quite the banger, I would say. Um, yeah. Um, contender for... Um, so. I will have to cross-reference some dates um, and check my information about Frankie Goes to Hollywood and Culture mm. Club as well, but sure. a, candidate, a, a candidate for the first out queer band. To uh, get to number to, one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's a really good point. I, I, I suspect Culture Club might um, precede them, though, sir. I've got, a, I've got a feeling Culture Club were like 95, 90, 85, 86... It's tight. It is tight, isn't it? You're right. It is. Yeah, you're right. It is. Um, I have a particular fondness for the common art. It's tighter than Jimmy Somerville's peachy little bun. It is. I, I, I have a particular fondness for the for the for the common arts um, because of obviously their link with Bronski beat, and I, I would say that Small Town Boy is one of the greatest um, electronic records ever recorded. That's my big statement of the week, Doc. Yeah. Um, and when you get a chance, if you want to hear unintentional companion pieces, mm. listen to back to back with There is a Light That Never Goes Out by the Smiths. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm really, really not familiar with the Smiths apart from Panic. So, yeah, I'll do that with interest. We're, 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 we're agreeing on things. How did this happen? <laughs> oh, good God. Um, in America, the number one film at the time was Crocodile Dundee. Um, which is you know, a, 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 you know, a bit of quite the cult classic, I think, these days. It's a great, it's a great comedic romp, fish out of water, rompathon, I would say. Yeah, I mean, uh, my memory of it is that it was sort of one of those things that um, that was an instant cult classic. Mm. Mm. Um, so I think probably Mad Max was the film that put Australian exploitation cinema um, on the global map. Correct. Um, and well, maybe maybe Razorback before that, so about nineteen seventy-seven. But of course, not the not the global hit that Mad Max was. No, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just being a bit of a hipster. I don't even know what international distribution um, things such as Razorback or Blood Camp Thatcher or sure. You Will Wake or You Will Wake in Fear. Good. Um, Good references, Doc. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, um, but I know that I, ha- I, I never heard of Razorback until um, Videodrome, um, mm. which was the sort of cult movies, BBC Two, occasional season. Um, yeah, that was occasionally presented by either Alex Garland or Kermode, was it Mark Kermode? Um, I, Alex Garland was the chap who wrote um, The Beach of the Tesseract. And it yeah, you're right. Of- yeah, and Dread. A vague contemporary of urban, sort of uh, a very contemporary of urban Welsh, I think. Mm, mm. Um, I want to say Alex Cox. Oh, you're right. Oh, yes, I got the wrong surname. It is Alex Cox. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it was, I think it was probably also where I saw a race ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I don't know whether there's any record of this. I want to say it's where I saw either Aino Korida or uh, Ikenea Fijin. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't, um, it was broadcast as part of the season. It wasn't where I first saw the Wicker Man. I first saw the Wicker Man um, at a meeting, uh, a, a village cinema club, um, actually in a church hall around about harvest time um, in a slightly creepy, vaguely pagan village in Worcestershire with a bunch of fucking real ale-loving hippies. That's great. What, I mean, what, what an environment to watch that film in. Um, it was For the first time, especially, you know, but yeah. my God, that's great. Um, and the president of the Film Society, the chap who um, introduced uh, the film um, to everybody, um, was the vicar. Mm. Mm. That's um, fabulous. That's absolutely yeah. fabulous stuff. What a, wonder, what a wonderful, wonderful anecdote. I love that. That's great. <laughs> um, great place to see it. <clears throat> Number one film in the UK was Mona Lisa, which was, if I recall, one of those terrible kind of gangster chic things, uh, which I think starred Bob Hoskins. Um, um, and um, it may have been the first one, but it had Kathy Tyson in it. And what kind of character do you imagine Kathy Tyson played? Well, you'll have to tell me, Doc, because I don't, I don't know who she is. Oh, sorry. Um, Basically, um, Kathy Tyson plays a prostitute in everything. Oh, right. <laughs> okay, yes, typecast as, as, as the hooker. Yes. Yeah. Um, I have a real dislike for those kind of, for those British movies that try to make it seem like the craze were cool. They, they, they really get under my skin, Doc. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a very few of them. Um, I f- uh, Snatch, I find a massive guilty pleasure. Oh, yes. um, and I'm going to pile uncool upon uncool and say that I think I, I, I like Snatch better than Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Mm-hmm. There's a, something very, very problematic that never works properly whenever the UK tries to do gangster chic, I think. I don't even like Get Carter as much as you're supposed to. No, I've, I've never really, I've, I've, ne- I've never gone on with Get Carter. Um, I think the only one of these films... You know, that always compiled in these lists that I that, that I really really do appreciate is um, the what's it called the long, the longer, longer Friday, Friday. Yeah. longer Friday, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I adore that one, but all of the others just seem to be kind of poor impersonators, more interested in the in making the gangsters seem kind of cool and sexy than you know grimy and miserable, the grimy miserable motherfuckers that they are. I mean, um, the Long Good Friday is, is, is something a little different because it, it, it comes across very much as a, a slightly bigger budgeted BBC drama. You're right. Yes, it, it's um, very theatrical, isn't it? It could be a stage play almost. Yeah, it's very theatrical. Um, I mean, it, it's, um, I feel as though it's another one of those things that's, like, that's, that's got like about half of the um, Royal Shakespeare Company slumming in it. Mm. Um, and... Of course, an absolutely fantastic soundtrack. Well, I was just about to mention. I, I think the end, the end shot of the movie is it not a freeze frame on Bob Hoskins's face, looking rather perturbed, and then that theme music kicks in, and it's yes. just wonderful. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll drop that in at this point. I think, Doc.
Where's Rick Joy? is being a product of, it's not actually made in the 70s or set in the 70s but being a product of the 70s um it's a huge downer ending as well because i i, I people don't ever seem to remember this but um eddie shand loses completely at the end yeah mm-hmm. that's, that, that's um, the hoskins character isn't it yeah um, and, that, and, that, and that's why you've got that troubled it's a great piece of uh, i don't know how else to say this a great piece of face acting from hoskins because the camera just kind of keeps closing it in on his face and his face seems to me like he goes, it's like he's running the whole plot of the film through his head and his face is, is reacting accordingly. Well, it, I suppose the thing is, is the fade to black going to, are we the audience going to be let off the hook? Is the fade to black going to come before he realises what we've gradually been let, let in on over the last 90 minutes? Yeah, yeah. Um, the whole point of that character is he's just spent the last. He's he's, he's just spent the, uh, the 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 long Good Friday, of course, um, missing or dismissing all of the evidence that's completely under his nose the whole entire time. It's that similar kind of trope from uh, the, the the film you previously mentioned, The Wicker Man, isn't it? You know, where kind of every step along the way, his character is almost offered escape routes, and he's just too blind to see it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, precisely. Um, I'd never made that connection before, but mm. if you think of it like that, it's the same plot. Almost, yeah. Doc, we're not here to talk about the long, the, the, the long Good Friday. Let's set up a, a whole separate podcast for that because I could talk about that movie endlessly. Um, yeah. Let's get on with a bit of um, analysis of Raining Blood. I wanted to include the best in book, by the way, as well, but. I could not find that information for love nor money. Maybe I had a massive Google fail, but I spent about 10 minutes just trying to find historical top 10 lists of bestsellers. You, you would not think that was hard to find, would you? I'll tell you what, Doc, if, if you can find me a source, I'd appreciate it for next time. Um, I'll do my best. Yeah, but I, I could not find anything. Um, so, cur- current, but current bestsellers, bestsellers over the last couple of years, no problem, but... Anything kind of pre-2010, really, really tough. Yeah. Curious. Um, Hit me with a question. Here we go. Does it stand the test of time? In your opinion, Doc? This album, of course, you know, um, considered a classic, considered timeless by many. um, But, you know, analysing now in 2021, some... How many years later is that, Doc? That's 35, oh God, 35 years later. Does it stand up? Um, I'm going to have to start by saying that, in my opinion, any piece of 
popular culture that is truly timeless has failed as a piece of popular culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may succeed as a piece of high culture. Uh, it may succeed as a piece of art. But um, for a thing to be popular culture at all, it needs must sound dated 35 years after the event. Sure. Because uh-huh. um, otherwise it wasn't relevant at the time. Effectively. That's right. Yeah. Um, I don't think... I mean... Um, Along with some other albums, so we'll say Like a Virgin by Madonna um, being the obvious example, um, I might be out on the timing of this. I think Thriller by Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, Rain and Blood is one of those albums that is so absolutely of its time. It couldn't not sound dated six months after its release. And I don't even think that dated um, is a, a terrible thing. No. No, 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 I think that's down to personal um, personal opinion, whether you find the word date to be pejorative or not. I suppose if you are an intended consumer of pop culture, what you should do is consume things that sound like they're of the moment and then discard them when they become out. And, and that is a completely legitimate use of the artifacts of, of, the artifacts of pop culture. Mm-hmm. Um, listen to this year's stuff. Um, then next year... Be constantly on the lookout for what's the new thing. Yeah. What's the new thing? What's the new thing? Mm-hmm. Um, and discard the old thing. Um, for right or wrong, serving no judgments at all, I don't ever put stuff down. Um, there's a certain amount of stuff that I go through phases on. Um, there's a couple of TV series that we've discussed in the past, and I've enjoyed them massively while they've been on. And, I've, and, and once they've gone off, once they've finished, um, I've never felt any need to go back and revisit them. Remind us, Doc. Give us give us some examples. A couple. Um, my go-to example is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh yes. Oh, very very epochal and of the moment, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and um, so, first things first. Um, I think that program outstayed its welcome while it was even being transmitted. Mm-hmm. Um, I think by the time. Um, our friends finished high school um, I think that would have been the time to have finished it yeah that that, that was a natural jumping off point wasn't it either you know either finish it or you know kind of create a spin-off and then put them in more relevant situations really Um, yeah they did that as well (laughs) oh they did Angel didn't they yeah Yeah, yeah, they did Mm -hmm. Um, so they uh, they did that too Um, I think and I mean obviously no one's going to uh, slaughter a golden goose like that um, but um, I think that would have been the time to finish it. I didn't stay with it for very long um, after that particular period finished. No, no, no. For, for me, Buffy is a, is a, is a three-season show. I, you know, I, I, you know, I've watched series one to three several times. Mm-hmm. The rest of it, I've, I've watched all of it once, and I will never watch it again. Sure. You know, that's just the way it is. I mean, I... I can't honestly say I, I went off it or I, I, I don't like it anymore. Um, it's just one of those things that I guess I'm very, very happy for it to live in that part of my waking memory. Mm-hmm. Um, it. And it went along with those few years. And, I don't, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of happy with that piece of closure and I don't, even, I, I don't ever need to go back to it. Mm. Um, my relationship with music is a bit different, which is that I, I, I don't put many things down. There aren't many records that... I, mean, I suppose I seriously started listening to music, as did many people, 
with the rush of adolescent hormones. And I suppose by the time I was able to have some tiny jobs and earn enough money to keep myself in records, um, I haven't still, I haven't got many of the records I bought when I was 15-ish, um, but I've acquired copies of them by the means. Um, and there's, there's nothing I've really put down. Um, there's nothing I, I loved for longer than six weeks or two months that I've ever really put down. This is a very, very, very roundabout way to answer, to, to answer your question. Um, I don't think it stands the test of time and I don't think it should. Um, I think it sounds like a record you would never, ever get in the year 2021. I think it sounds like a record you wouldn't have got in the year 1992. Mm-hmm. To, to a modern ear, you know, imagine an 18 year old now that's never heard the album. What, what do you imagine, you know, that, that, that would make of it? What does it, what does it sound like to the modern metal fan's ear? By definition, it, it's, it's, it's a question I'm almost incapable of, of answering. Of course, of course. There, 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 there's a baked-in logical problem to the question. I understand that. Yeah. Um, my assumption is that people nowadays would find it very untutored, very amateurish. Mm. We've commented on there's some suspect parts to the playing, which I love but which I don't think any modern producer. Mm-hmm. You, um, would, you just wouldn't get through, would it? Would not get through the, like the, qual- the, the quality assurance process, basically. That's right. Mm. Um, I mean, the, there's, we're talking about jazz earlier on, um, and one of the fascinating things about jazz records from the late 40s and, 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 and into the 50s, and in some cases into the 60s, they've got mistakes on them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They've, 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 they've got fluffs on them. Mm. You've got musicians who are, despite their extraordinary ability of pushing so hard against the limits of their ability, they make mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, And the nature of the recording process in those days, it was very difficult and very, you you certainly couldn't punch in a solo Mm -hmm. um, or repair a bit that was damaged, not when you were recording directly onto one track tape with one microphone. Just gotta play it again, basically. You you fuck up, start again. Yeah. and, but then magnetic tape was really, really expensive, and maybe yeah. you could only afford 45 minutes of magnetic tape. Of course, yeah, of course. Um, that session. So you've, you've got to make a decision. Do you trash the whole session? Mm-hmm. Um, or, or do you just live with it? Um, and because there was no particular prohibition against mistakes, because people didn't necessarily think that those were bad things, they got left in. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's to the massive, the, the massive advantage of the recordings. Um, in the years that have gone by since, because you you, you have an actual historical record um, of a session being played by those musicians in that room at that time altogether. I can appreciate when producers got the facilities. Well, of course you punch in things that, that had mistakes. If the saxophone player blew his part, but everyone, everybody else was perfect, you'd have him record his part again. Of course you'd do that. The, the, yeah, it, d- 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 drop it on that track, effectively. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, it would be if you have a 48 track tape recorder it would be pretentious not to mm-hmm. um, well it, it, it would it would be striving for a past that you have no reason to strive for anymore yeah well, um, it, it, kind of going, going lo- lo-fi for, for no particular reason yeah um, or, or I suppose if you reverse the question if the guy if, if the recording engineer in 1948 had had a 48 track machine would he have fucking course he would Mm-hmm. Of course he would. Um, he, 
let, let me hit you with the second question, Doc, because I think this can kind of feed in. These can feed into each other. Um, sure. Does it deserve its iconic status? I mean, there is no question this album is, is held in you know, kind of ridiculously high regard in many respects. Does it deserve it? As you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of an iconoclast mm-hmm. by nature. Um, and that's not just because I want to stick my nose in the air and upset apple carts and things like this. It's why I thought you'd enjoy this question, because I know your iconoclastic tendencies. Um, It is an excellent question. Mm. Um, I think it deserves to be held in high regard for at least two reasons. Um, Point number one, it changed what heavy metal sounded like. You can divide metal into records that were made before Rain and Blood came out and records that were made after Rain and Blood came out. Yes. I don't think there's any part of metal that was untouched by its release. Mm. Uh, I'll tell you something I think about from time to time, Doc, is imagine being the band who, uh, you, you know, like a moderately successful thrash band. I can't think of an example, you know, that, that's time relative. Um, but, you know, you... you you dro- your album is dropping a week later and you know the week before you go to the record store and buy the new Slayer album because you're curious and you hear it and just think holy shit you know um your album's coming a week later and you and you know that you've just been you've just been burnt effectively it's a matter of record um there are anything up to i don't know the titles um, but I have this on very good authority. There are about 30 albums from um, charting bands that were shelved when Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band came oh, yes. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. That album came out and 30 people who've got albums in the works just suddenly went, we blew it. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Back to the drawing board. Yeah. Um, we're old hat now. Mm-hmm. Um, that album we just finished, that's yesterday's news. Mm-hmm. Don't know who the bands are, but apparently in the vaults of um, some of them were never even reclaimed from Abbey Road. Mm. Um, it's just like we blew it; we're out of time. Yeah, uh, and wouldn't wouldn't it be uh, fascinating to, to to hear those um, recordings? Because you know, I, I imagine much of it would be perfectly fine, um, but just in that moment, it, it just seemed impossible to release. Um, yeah, and it's. It's a thing we've talked about many times before, um, that um, as pop culture history goes on, pop culture slows down. Mm. Um, If you listen to the difference between 1965 and 1966 and 1967 and 1968 and 1969, you can pick out which six months a particular thing was released in. Yeah. Um, well, if, I, if, if you just take the Beatles, you know, I think their first album was 63, I believe, and last album was 69. That's yeah. six years. It is light and day between the sound of those of those two records. But then if you compare the same time period, 2015 to today, I can detect no movement, progress or change at all. No, I mean... It, it was it was a, a long time ago. It was ten years ago ish now, and someone I was in conversation with pointed out that the beginning of rock and roll, the first Elvis Presley single, mm. and it was now the same amount of time between the birth of rock and roll and the first Clash album, and the first Clash album, and now. Mm. 
just as as a measure of um, how much popular culture has slowed down. Um, I completely agree with you. I, d- I, I think you'd have to know you'd have to know the thing um, before you could say what year of the last 20 years it was mm-hmm. made in. Mm-hmm. Um, I can listen to a thing and I can make a vague guess, well, this sounds like it was probably between 2003 and 2007. Yes. Mm-hmm. I, I, I did, if you can be that precise, Doc, I think, I think you, you're doing better than me. I, I, I wouldn't be that confident personally. I'm not saying I'll be right. Yeah, fair enough. Yes, fair enough. Next question. Here we go. Um, oh, I've lost my place. Um, what surprised you about this album, Doc? I think many things, but let's drill down. Fun it was to listen to. Um, I've I, I said this pretty much verbatim before, but going into it, I was I was intimidated. Uh, I've always been intimidated by by Rain in Blood, and I had an idea that what I was going to do, as I have done before, is like grip my teeth and push my fingernails into my palms. And it, it's 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 one that you get through and congratulate yourself on having got through it once you've got through it. Mm-hmm. Um. I had completely forgotten how many fun moments the album has got on it. Yeah, I think you were particularly um, kind of delighted by the the, the, the the fun quotient on ultra sacrifice and, and post mortem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, and you know, it might even have completely escaped my notice before um, that it's got proper grooves and it's got mm. funky parts, mm. um, got a sense of humour about itself. Mm. Mm. I must say the groove in particular has surprised me. You know, I've heard this album more times than I can possibly guess. Um, and it's only as we've done this kind of analysis, really, that I've spotted the, the groove in it um, and, and, and kind of heard how that clearly influenced new metal, you know, or did, like, inadvertently. Mm, definitely. You know, um, so that, that, that very, very much surprised me. Anything else took you by surprise, Doc? Just a fun factor. That's the one takeaway thing. Uh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm coming away from thinking that Rain and Blood is quite fun to listen to, which mm. had never occurred to me before. <laughs> um, here's a toughie. How could it have been improved? <sighs> no need for false modesty here, Doc. We, you know, this is just a, a thought experiment. No, nobody, no, if you answer the question, no, no rational listener is going to think, oh, he thinks he's better than Slayer. You know, I, I'm, I'm putting this on you, Doc. I don't think it could be, and here is why. Um, of the things that one might subjectively say are wrong with it, uh, the production is a bit tinny mm-hmm. um, by the standards of... Like, even by the standards of 1990, the production is a bit tinny. A couple of the songs could have done with a few more rehearsals, mm-hmm. uh, a bit more tightening up. If there's one thing, yeah, uh, if there's one thing objectively that could have been done to improve it, um, a few more drafts to the lyrics. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just a few more... Um, like he used to do in poetry recital at school, um, stand up in front of everyone um, and read these lyrics out loud. You know, I, mean, I think that's a, just a general good tip for anybody doing any kind of writing, isn't it? You know, just read it out loud. If it sounds ridiculous, change it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, that that's... The mistakes in the playing we've talked about already. Um, the, the production... 
I can't criticise because we've, we've talked about we've talked about this several times, um, and there's a reason it sounds the way it does. Rick Rubin doesn't produce anything without there being a good reason for the way it sounds, mm-hmm. and he produced that record to sound good on cheap, shitty cassette Walkmans. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yep, you know, young skater kids wandering around the Bronx listening to the headphones, basically. Yes. Yeah, spot on. Um, so I, that's the reason that I, I can't almost criticise the production. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the sloppy aspects of the playing I discussed a couple of minutes ago, I don't even mind that. Um, yeah. I, I, I really don't mind hearing musicians or seeing athletes or anybody um, trying to push themselves beyond what human beings are seemingly capable of. Mm-hmm. Um, has it ever been surpassed? And you can interpret that question however you choose, Doc. Um, I think it was surpassed and then surpassed again by the next two Slayer albums. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, um, I think it's been surpassed many times. Mm. Um, I, think, I think you are um, in the minority to believe that the next two albums are better than this one. Um, I, I will keep my cards close to my chest for now, and I'll, I'll, I'll reveal that as we get to it. But no, I, I think your take there is... Well, and then, of course, the next the next four months might well have me eating my words. Well, we will find out, won't we? You know, the, the, this album, Well, the last three albums have surprised us both greatly, so maybe we're, maybe we're in for another big surprise. Um, sure. Where does it rank, sir, in your top albums of any genre? Surprisingly low, and mm. that's because if, if, if I have to do like a Discovery Channel achievement matrix um, for an album. Um, so, uh, Rain and Blood scores very high for intensity. Um, it scores very high for innovation. Mm. Um, where it scores low for me is the circumstances under which I want to listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know this is almost a false metric because in the days of modern MP3 players, you can actually carry around as many albums as you want. Yes. I can't get this idea out of my head that I might be away from home for two weeks or a month and there's only so many cassettes I can check in the bottom of my bag. Sure. Um, and out of the however many I choose, um, I want to choose the ones that are going to be of maximum utility to me. Mm. Um, and I... I can easily go two months. I can easily go a year without listening to Rain and Blood. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine going a year without wanting to listen to Seasons in the Abyss. Okay, yeah, there you go. Well, that's a good yardstick to use, I suppose. If you if you if you get the calling, yeah, um, you know, I mean, I I, um, I want to listen to I I want to listen to some Slayer, and I want to listen to it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I, I'm I'm mindful of the fact that that feeling might come upon might come upon me at any time in the next one year, and mm. I want to have some Slayer. With. Um, so, um, what's another reason that that, that marks? Um, in the end, it's still a bit one-dimensional for me. Sure. And sometimes that's acceptable. Sometimes you just want a thing that sets out its stall and says, "I'm going to do this," and sometimes that's fine. But I've gravitated more towards pieces of equipment, clothing, um, cultural artefacts that 
are utilitarian that, that, that perform a utility function for me. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, I'm generally speaking not nearly as much of a specialist as I used to be. Mm. Um, and this is completely determined by the fact that my lifestyle for about the last 20 years has been not particularly itinerant, but I've been leery against accumulating too many things around me because I might have to move or I might have to be in a small space mm. for a long period of time. So if I buy a suit, I want a suit that I can break up into pants and jacket um, and use for different purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm picking a record, um, I want one that I can use for good times and bad times. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it, and raining blood would be for the good times, I guess. You, I can't imagine you putting this on when you're feeling uh, particularly maudlin. It would be for the intense times, man. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. The, uh, the, the intense, interesting and heated moments of your life. Yes, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, what about the cultural impact of this record, Doc? What do you think about that? Um, I'm, I wasn't into thrash when this record came out. Mm. Um, so I'm going to have to reference a historical record that I wasn't actually there for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the people I know who were there um, of around about my age, I don't remember any of them saying that it changed music forever or it changed thrash forever. I don't think it rated particularly highly on one of those albums that people thought as, as one of those albums that people wanted to ban. Mm. I don't think it rated very highly um, as one of those albums that people thought of as doing something particularly new because I don't think thrash was taken very seriously at that mm-hmm. time. And I don't think metal was taken very seriously at that time. Yeah. Fair enough. I, I suppose for me, the, the obvious cultural impact is the other genres that it went on to inspire. Carry on. Cause I mean, that, that's, that's something I obviously completely neglect to mention. It, it, it's, it's, it's influence after the fact. Yeah, you know, so, you know, No Raining Blood, No Morbid Angel, for example, No Raining Blood, probably No Napalm Death, um, you know, and then, of course, the knock-on effect from, from those kind of bands not existing um, would, would have changed the, the, the culture of the metal subculture fundamentally. Right. Um, there is a scheme of thought um, and whether this is speculative amongst the people who believe this stuff, I don't know. There is a scheme of thought amongst certain Christian philosophers, um, which is that um, Jesus wasn't very important. Um, he happened to be the person who did disseminate the message. But if he hadn't been around, then the, the message was being widely circulated. And if it hadn't been Jesus, it would have been John the Baptist or it would have been James the Just. Those teachings, those philosophies were at large in the world at the time. Jesus didn't invent them. Somebody else um, would have promulgated that philosophy. And this um, is similar. This is similar to a Stephen Fry novel, um, where I can't remember the name of it, but um, it's it you know it, it's the old chestnut that um, somebody went back and killed Hitler, and in his place came somebody identical philosophically but but, just, but even more insane basically 
Right. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm obviously familiar with the idea that the the British, for instance, held back on supporting plans to assassinate Hitler because what they were greatly concerned about is that he'd be replaced by somebody philosophically identical but competent. Sure. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. If there had been no rain and blood, if there'd been a terrorist bomb or a gas explosion or a plane crash or something, and rain and blood had never got made, can you think of another album or another band um, that would have, have, have taken up the mantle and would have done that? Now, yeah, that's a great question, Doc. I, do, 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 do. I have to look to Germany, I think, in that, in, in that yeah. instance. Um, I think maybe something like, uh, but, but, you know, nature hates a vacuum, doesn't it? So, so suddenly Slayer have been killed in a plane crash. Raining blood doesn't happen, and suddenly you've got a gaping hole where the album should be. Yeah. Nature will nature will find a way to fill the vacuum. And of course, as metal is the very essence of of nature, one of the most wondrous things on planet Earth. Um, I think, you know, maybe creators' pleasure to kill album, or um, maybe extreme aggression because the production is much better on that one. You know, something like that would have come in and, and plugged the hole. Now, do, do we think that creator were acting completely independently? And I, I, I don't know this. I, I'm, I'm relying on you to, uh, to help me out. Um, were creator completely independent of Slayer? Well, I, th- I think they were, they were direct contemporaries in terms of, yeah. in terms of dates. I would, actually, I, th- I think Slayer's debut predated them maybe by one year. Um, but from that point on, you know, they, they were releasing albums concurrently. Um, sure. so, so I don't th- I don't think that the you know the, 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 the creator's early 1997 album was particularly influenced by Rain in Blood because that would have already been written and ready to go and they were, they were practicing by that point weren't they you know to get it ready yeah. um, sure. you know for, for, you know for the for the printing of, of, of the discs and the vinyls and cassettes and things um, so the, the, I don't think they were totally separate. But at the same time, I don't. I think that if Slayer did not exist, I don't think it would have made a massive difference to Creator. Does um, that make sense? Yeah, absolutely, it does. Um, so I mean, this is this is what I wanted to get to. That effectively, in that year, there was there was, there was something in the water, and yeah. if Slayer hadn't done it, somebody would have made an album like that. Um, I so. When I was I think so. when I was speculating on this question earlier on. Um, and it's an unimaginative answer, so I'm glad you've given me a better one. Um, it seemed obvious to me that the um, the people who would have taken up that banner and done that would have been Anthrax. Mm. Yes, but I don't know. I, I just don't think they're. Um, I think they are. I think they are much more groove oriented and much more lightweight and fluffy than either Slayer or Creator. Yeah, you know, Slayer and Creator are all about you know real dark vibes. Um, where Anthrax is about kind of bouncing around on stage and having fun. So I, I, I think they fill a different niche. I'm going to have to remind you of, uh, and I, I, I'm confident this is um, Fenris from Dark Throne um, who said this, where he said, um, we hate thrash metal and we hate death metal because thrash metal and death metal are all about fun. <laughs> <laughs> and we hate fun. Yeah. We're interested in fun. We're interested <laughs> creating a dark and evil atmosphere and that's all. 
yeah. I believe him. I believe him. <laughs> um, okay, three to go. What about the artwork of the album? What, what, what do we make of that? We, we, we've never really talked about the artwork of either, either of the previous releases, so maybe it's, time, maybe it's time we should pull our fingers out. Sure. Um, I mean, on Show No Mercy, it just speaks for itself. Yeah. Um, it's... It's a band's debut album, and honestly, if you're a 14-year-old boy, what else do you need? It's got a logo made out of a pentagram mm-hmm. and a demon with a goat head and a red mm-hmm. cloak, big sword. The, the, like that, the, yeah. it's, it's, it's then that you don't need anything else. Mm. And it, it's um, wonderfully amateurish, isn't it? I get the feeling like Tom, Tom, Tom drew that when he was having a crap, basically, <laughs> one day. You know, it, it's wonderfully amateurish. It's great. <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> Um, when we were record shopping one day, um, and an acquaintance of ours got terribly excited to find the first Merciless album, ah. <laughs> which is <laughs> I can't not laugh just thinking <laughs> it's the one with the hairy skull with the Viking helmet. That's right, yeah, it is. It is. I, I know it well, yes, and like a crude child's drawing of a Viking, but instead of a yeah. face, it's a skeleton. Yes, yes. yes. I, I remember it. I, I think the same guy got terribly excited in, in a different record store when when, when he found, um, uh, I think it's Repulsion is the band, and the album's called Horrified. And, it, <laughs> and, it, and it, it's just like, it, just like a crazy zombie skeleton thing. Very, very similar. Yes. Um, like that. He liked that too. And someday, dear readers, we'll tell you about the same guy becoming furious at the brown demons in the pink vortex when they should have been blue demons in a green vortex. <laughs> yeah, they did. Massacres from beyond, guys. Go, go and look at the cover. Um. <laughs> um, right, so um, the cover of um, Hello Waits. Um, is <laughs> well, it's it's still got a logo made out of a pentagram on it. Yes, uh-huh. um, but it's it, it's 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 somewhat more accomplished mm. um, and, and better. Um, and then you, you get rain and blood. Um, now, what what's what's the image in that? What what's being depicted in that cover? I'm just um, going to pull it up now, just to uh, remind myself. I mean, of course, I know what it looks like, but just to okay, crucially, um, some of the figures in that drawing have got faces which are real people's faces. Mm -hmm. Is it widely known whose faces they are? I don't think so, no. I've I've never heard that. Um, I mean, for instance, I I pulled a picture of um, Joseph Mengele mm -hmm. um, because I I was aware of the fact I didn't know what Joseph Mengele looked like. Yeah. And I I, I kind of expected to see a likeness of him. Oh, yes. Uh, That'd be interesting. And there isn't. Mm. Um, I'm curious as to whether it's widely known in Slayer lore, not by me, uh, but mm. by anybody. Because the, 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 there are there are certain figures in that drawing, are there not? And that, that they're clearly meant to resemble identifiable people. Well, yes, yeah, certainly. You've got one on the. I'm looking at it right now. You've got a, like a, a chap on the on the on the bottom right, clearly discernible as a regular person. You know, the, the face yeah. is is totally clear. You've got looks like a woman with effectively like a mitre's hat on. And again, yes. her face is very, 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 very apparent. Um, after that, it, it, you know, it all starts to get a little bit more demonic. Um, but yeah, certainly those, those, you know, those bottom right characters, yeah, they, they look like real people. You're right. Um, it, you know, the, obviously the cover is some kind of depiction of 
of of of of hell, isn't it? You know, um, or or even or, or maybe Earth that has become rendered as hell, perhaps. Um, yeah, it's, it's Dantean, isn't it? it? It it certainly is. Yeah, it certainly is. Um, it's it, I mean, it's very very striking, instantly recognisable, um, and w- of course would go on to inform the the, the covers of the of the next two albums. It's a strange choice, though, because I don't think, as a young metalhead, if I didn't know who Slayer were, I'm not sure if that cover would have, you know, made it leap off the shelf at me. Well, certainly, I mean, if you're a young metalhead and you've never heard of Slayer, if it's a choice between the first, second or third album, it's got to be the first one. It's going to be the first, of course, yeah, of course it is, yeah. Um, Mm. Logo made out of pentagram, check. Goathead, sword, check. What more do you... Um, Uh Um, we've got two to go. This album, what signs of progression from the band did you detect, Doc? Um, this is also a really good question. Um, and the wholesale ditching of supernatural themes in mm-hmm. favour of mundane themes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe the uh, exception of Reborn. And according to the... Um, the, the horse's mouth description that, that, that you pulled up last week, um, Rain in Blood as well. Sure. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it, it's 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 pretty prosaic, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is, yeah. yeah. It, you know, it, it's talking about um, much more grounded things than, 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 than on the first two albums. Ultra Sacrifice, of course, is another exception. Yeah. So, um, I believed, for right or wrong, particularly on the first album, that I, I could pick out far more mundanity than um, I believe people normally expect mm-hmm. that album. Um, I think there are a lot of adolescent and post-adolescent issues on parade on that first album. Um, the second one, by and large, um, I think we thought was was just silly fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, on, on the first one, um, I picked up themes of um, economic inequality. Um, there was at least one song which I said at the time I, I, I was I was convinced was um, actually about gambling. Yes. Um, there's at least two, maybe even more, um, which I, I bracketed as um, homosexual panic. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Guys with your bingo cards, gay panic. Damn it off right now. Um, in that case, just to help everybody out and maybe finish the game, um, I need to say uh, Gnostic Dualism as well, don't I? Oh, of course, yes. Everybody's favourite, Gnostic Dualism. Yes, absolutely perfect. Um, yeah, but, but but this time around, you know, with, with the three exceptions that, we, that, that we've referred to, the subject matter was was, was much more mundane. Not, not mundane, not boring, just mundane, not more, more, more real, I suppose. Yeah, mundane, as in concerned with the earth, as opposed to concerned with the heavens. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, my first, my, my, my first actual statement of Gnostic dualism in this in this episode. Well done, sir. Well done. Um, last question. Here we go. And, and, and maybe you've kind of half answered this already, but maybe, maybe the rephrasing will. One or two last pieces of information. What does it, what does this album tell us about society? At the time, Doc, what do you think about that? Loads. 
yeah. absolutely loads. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so, I mean, obviously, these are a lot of our inferences. Um, we haven't, we didn't listen to this album with access to a, 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 a gloss or uh, with access to a great many interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was kind of the idea. We wanted to listen to the album um, in the spirit of literary criticism and decide what we thought it was about. There's at least one song which we were convinced was at least part to do with HIV. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, that was the uh, epidemic. Yeah. There's another song that we were convinced is at least in part about the rise of Christian fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. Um, considering we're in the middle of the Cold War, um, no songs about nuclear warfare. Um, and oh, yes. That's do interesting. We, do, do we just assume that um, people left that to Megadeth? Well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a good point, but, but I think they will redress that balance in, on, on the next album, Doc, so don't worry about that. So there's at least one more song which we felt bore some references to um, the, the, the rise of the new right in Reaganomics. And, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's an album that, that's, that's completely, completely rooted in um, the social reality of the uh, of, of, of the mid eighties. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, interestingly, and this is a reason that it's an album you would never get nowadays. Um, there's no blame apportioning, is there? Well, we've discussed this. I, I, I think I asked you the question. You know, did, uh, you know, do do Slayer ever judge? Um, and I think the conclusion was no, generally not. I think we've seen in three albums maybe two lines that could be interpreted as, as any kind of kind of judgment or um, opinion, really. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, I mean, considering we're, we're now in a period of history where um, it seems like everyone in the world wants to grandstand on a moral bla- on, on a moral platform and blame somebody for something. Mm. Often it seems as a way of avoiding responsibility. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, very interesting to me that you've got an album that is sort of putatively as as hate-filled and filled with aggression and dissatisfaction, um, and you might even say rage, as this one. But no, it it it, it doesn't actually it doesn't actually point fingers. It doesn't actually blame. It doesn't actually judge. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that might contribute to making it timeless. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because obviously if there's one thing that dates your politics, dates your opinions, dates your mindset, um, it's coming to conclusions and saying, if only we could get rid of this thing, if only we could change this thing, yes, then it would yes. all be all right. Well, I think the very, you know, by nature stating an opinion Kind of pins a flag in a particular time in history because inevitably, you know, that opinion will, will, will uh, you know, would either look um, incredibly insightful and future thinking, or incredibly kind of reductive and and dinosaur-like in you know, thirty years hence. Yeah, and um, I think what's even more likely is that the the thing you're proposing as the solution mm-hmm. will have come to pass and either been tried and failed or been tried, been adopted 
and having had no noticeable effect on the very thing you're complaining about. Mm. Mm. I mean, we, we've we've talked about um, hip hop quite a bit. There are some hopeful but naive records coming down the pike in the next several years, um, which propound solutions, including um, having a black president. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, as we know, that happened. Um, mm. And, um, well, things didn't change a very great deal. Mm. Mm. Or at least things didn't change a very great, uh, great deal that weren't substantially reversed mm-hmm. um, in the immediately following period. I'll, I'll, I'll sort of lean over hip-hop as well here uh, when we're going back to Rain and Blood. Um, this was at the beginning of a period when um, hip-hop was, some would say, excusing its own amorality um, mm. by explicitly saying, we don't aim to offer solutions, all we do is report what we see. That's the uh, Iron Maiden argument, isn't it? You know, the accusations of, of misogyny, you know, when talking about prostitution in the East End. Yeah, um, and I don't see... Um, I mean, if, if you're going to let NWI off the hook for that one, I don't see how you yeah. can't let NWI off the hook for that one. No, 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 no. I think it's a perfectly a perfectly valid um, argument on, on, on the part of the Irons. So, no, I've got no problem with that. With that, you know, with that thought process, um, anything else to say, Doc, or, or, or should we, you know, should we, should, should we kind of look at the breakdown of the scores? Yes, let's. So, obviously, ten tracks, and each track we assign us a, a score of um, one to ten. Now, um, on average, Doc, you have given eight out of ten for this album. Um, your high point. Well, your high points, actually, were Angel of Death and Postmortem, which you, you gave um, 10 to each of those tunes. And your low point um, was Reborn, which you gave a very stingy 5 out of 10 to docs. Something about that rubbed you up the wrong way, apparently. Um, and very often, um, scores are based on just how, thing, how, how things rub, uh, sort of rub me up. Who I miss this? Uh, you, you, you don't actually expect um, informed opinion or um, anything remotely uh, anything remotely objective from me, do you? No, 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 no. And of course, you know, I imagine if I if I if I went through these track by track again and rescored them, my, my scores would 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 vary wildly from what I actually gave. Um, my high points, uh, um, yeah, my high points. One, two, three, five. Actually, Angel of Death. Jesus says, coming insane, post-mortem, and raining blood, which I gave 10 out of 10 to all five of those tunes. My low point, let me find it, oh, two, actually, which is Necrophobic and Reborn. And I gave both of those tunes seven out of 10. Um, so pretty high all right. How does it compare to the other albums? Well, you gave 6.2 to... Uh, Show No Mercy, I gave 6.7. You gave, and you've done this deliberately, Doc, I'm still convinced, (laughs) 6.66 for Haunting the Chapel, an 8 from me, and then 6 from you for Hello Eights, and 6.2 from me. So this album is significantly higher for both of us, but again, the the scoring is quite consistent in in that I'm generally 
just that little bit. I mean, we're not we're not we're not miles apart, but just generally, I'm you know one one point ahead every couple of tracks, basically, which accounts for my you know my highest scores. I think. Yeah, and let's remind ourselves um, and cop to this fact for our listeners that obviously the point of this project is to listen to each song as a song mm. and rate it um, mm-hmm. as a standalone piece. Yeah. Um, we're not concerned with... So, I mean, for instance, I came away from album one with a far warmer opinion of it as an album mm. than I went into it. Um, probably, if, if you ask me right now, how do I rate album one? How, how do I rate Shona Mercy as an album? Um, I'd, I'd probably unhesitatingly say eight out of ten. Mm, wow. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. But the thing is that listening to it song by song, uh, this is a discussion for the future. Um, is it necessary for a great album to have nothing but great songs on it? Mm. Or are there other factors such as internal consistency, um, concept? Um... I, think, I, I think the positioning of the weaker tracks is important as well, because... You know, if, if the weaker tracks are strategic, strategically positioned on the album, you can still walk away, even if there are two or three clunkers, thinking it's a great album. Um, yeah, and I mean, and uh, you get very, very extreme cases of that. Um, I think it's probably Black Sabbath Volume 4 mm. um, I'm thinking of here, which is, I really hope I've got this right, because I'm going to look like a metal idiot if I haven't. I'm pretty sure it's got uh, Laguna Sunrise, which is, uh, or maybe, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Laguna Sunrise. Um, that is no one's idea of a particularly good Black Sabbath track, but it sets up Supernaut. Sure. Oh, yes. Oh, I see. Yes, we, we, which everybody loves. That, the, the dance floor filler that is Supernaut. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and um, I think those are the other things that you, you, you can't ignore um, when you're trying to make opinions about an album. Uh, or those are the things that you shouldn't ignore when you're making opinions about an album song by song. That you'll get songs that are just to to set up other pieces. Yeah, and it's interesting. You know, you you just said like instinctively, you'd give Show No Mercy eight, and in reality, track by track, you gave it six point two overall. Correct. So you know, it is it is intriguing, isn't it? Anything else to say, Doc, about this? Or are we about done with Rain in Blood? I think we're about done. Um, the only thing I really want to say is that um, I, after we finished listening to Rain and Blood, I had a very definite sense of tristesse. Mm-hmm. It was, it's not like I can never go back and listen to Rain and Blood ever again, but probably in my lifetime, I'll never do this exercise ever again. Yeah. I was left with the sadness that you feel when a great work is completed. And it, mm-hmm. it's almost like, Probably now, for the rest of my life, I'll never spend as much time discussing and talking about Rain in Blood, mm. <laughs> the, most famous, the most famous Slayer album. Mm. Um, and I, I felt a bit sad. Sure. Well, we, you know, we've only done 20 hours on it, so it's understandable if you feel we haven't done enough. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 but I, I do understand that kind of, that kind of sense of hollowness you know, avoid almost, um, you know, when, when something comes to an end, it is quite natural. But we, we're not quite at an end yet, Doc, because, of course, next week we will do the cover special. So we will hear these tracks one more time, just played from a different band's perspective. Sure. 
yeah so don't get don't get too uh, full of tristesse just yet um don't forget guys you can contact us um at vercast on twitter or at slatanicvercast at gmail.com via email join us next week when as i just said we will be doing the cover special for raining blood hope i'll see you then doc you certainly will it's been lovely thank you you're welcome bye-bye